Hey there. If you're new to the show, a great way to follow our reporting when the podcast is over is NPR One. Hand-curated podcasts and audio stories ready when you are from NPR Politics and beyond. Find it in your app store now. NPR O-N-E. Okay, here's the show. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast, and here we are with the recap of the second presidential debate. It took place Sunday night at Washington University in St. Louis, and it happened at the end of a weekend that we can all agree was full of high drama, even for 2016, the year that just keeps on giving. <laughs> uh, I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben, political reporter. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. All right. It is, what, 11.36 p.m. as we record this. Um, As everyone knows, the past 48 hours have been maybe the craziest in a campaign season that seems to hit a new level of drama every week uh, for months. Also, for those that want to catch up on this weekend's events, the podcast in your feed right before this one, that episode, uh, has a nice breakdown for you. Anyways, this all started with the video on Friday night of Trump making uh, some vocal comments and then dozens of Republicans dropping their support for Trump throughout the weekend, some calling for him to leave the race And then after that, Trump brought up some allegations of sexual assault against Bill Clinton. So all that to say, this weekend was full of discussions of sexual assault and some words that we cannot say on the radio. And so going into this debate, I think the entire country kind of maybe had a little sinking feeling in their stomachs. I know I did. Um, it, it, we we yeah. were expecting a mud fest. Yeah. And, and for the first half hour, roughly, it was. that's what we got. Yeah. So, right. you know... The debate starts tonight. It's hosted by Martha Raddatz and Anderson Cooper. Ladies and gentlemen, the Republican nominee for president, Donald J. Trump, and the Democratic nominee for president, Hillary Clinton. The drama when they come on stage is palpable. They did not shake hands. Right. And so then the first question uh, comes from an audience member, and it's about whether the candidates are being good role models. Kind of a fitting question given this weekend. Clinton and Trump. Both give pretty stock answers, but then Anderson Cooper asked Trump specifically about that video that caused him so much trouble this weekend. The question from Patrice was about, are you both modeling positive and appropriate behaviors for today's youth? We received a lot of questions online, Mr. Trump, about the tape that was released on Friday, as you can imagine. You called what you said locker room banter. You described kissing women without consent, grabbing their genitals. That is sexual assault. You bragged that you have sexually assaulted women. Do you understand that? No, I didn't say that at all. I don't think you understood what was said. This was locker room talk. Uh, I'm not proud of it. I apologize to my family. I apologize to the American people. Certainly, I'm not proud of it. But this is locker room talk. And so Trump goes on to say that he never did the things that he talked about in the video. Mr. Trump should get on to much more important things and much bigger things. Just for the record, though, are you saying that what you said on that bus 11 years ago, that you did not actually kiss women without consent or grope women without consent? I have great respect for women. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. So for the uh, record, said, you're saying you never did that? I said things that, frankly, you, you hear these things are said. And I was embarrassed by it, but I have tremendous respect for women. Have you ever and done those things? women have respect for me. And I will tell you, no, I have not. And I will tell you that... I'm going to make our country safe. I've got to say, he did say he didn't do the things that were described in that video. However, Anderson Cooper had to ask him several times before he said that. I don't believe that that helped Trump's case. He really just kept persisting in trying to give his explanation. He wasn't answering the question that Anderson Cooper put in front of him, which did not look good for Donald Trump, I don't think. The implication of saying that's locker room talk is not just that it's 
the reason for the language that was used that we can't use, but uh, also that it implies that it was braggadocio that did not refer to real events. Mm -hmm. In other words, people making stuff up to brag about to their friends in the locker room. Some weird stuff right. to make up. Well, and also, I mean, it, to tack on to that, we can't say for sure in this studio whether he in fact did those things. Women have alleged these things. We don't know for sure. But also saying it was just locker room talk. It was just words. It also makes it sound unimportant. And many people, as we saw on social media this weekend, as we heard in the media this yeah. weekend, believed it was very important that this is not a thing you can joke about and say is unimportant. So Clinton, of course, responded to what Trump said, and she called him unfit for office. Secretary Clinton, do you want to respond? Well, like everyone else, I've spent a lot of time thinking over the last 48 hours um, about what we heard and saw. You know, with prior Republican nominees for president, I, I disagreed with them on politics, policies, principles, but I never questioned their fitness to serve. Donald Trump is different. Um, I said after that, Martha Raddatz, the moderator, she pushed Trump on the video with another question from an undecided voter. And then Donald Trump went there and brought up accusations of a sexual assault against Bill Clinton. If you look at uh, Bill Clinton, far worse, minor words, and his was action. His was what he's done to women. There's never been anybody in the history of politics in this nation that's been so abusive to women. So... You can say any way you want to say it, but Bill Clinton was abusive to women. Hillary Clinton attacked those same women and attacked them viciously. Four of them are here tonight. And so One of the women there was some anticipation was about whether or not Trump would do this, would go there. Um, but we kind of got a clue that he would when just before the debate started, he had a Facebook Live video uh, with four women who accused either Bill Clinton of rape or assault or accused Hillary Clinton of defending a rapist. Yes. Now, these are not uh, news stories to people who uh, were around for the Clinton administration in the 1990s, but that doesn't really describe most millennial voters. So this is going to be new material for a lot of people. Also, people who were around may have forgotten that there were these accusations from Paula Jones, whom he eventually made a settlement with, uh, Juanita Broderick, uh, who said that he had raped her in 1978, and from Kathleen Willey, who did not uh, really describe her experience tonight in this news conference but who had accused the president of a sexual assault while she was visiting him in the White House. Finally, Kathy Shelton, who had been, uh, who had accused a man of raping her, and that was not, of course, Bill Clinton, but Hillary Clinton was appointed by a court to defend the man that she had accused, and she did so. And so uh, that has been viewed as Hillary Clinton defending that rapist. And so what Trump is trying to do, it seems, is not just tie these women and these allegations to Bill Clinton, but also to Hillary Clinton and to suggest um, that she was complicit in some way in this behavior or at least defending that behavior. And I will tell you that when Hillary brings up a point like that and she talks about words that I said 11 years ago, I think it's disgraceful and I think she should be ashamed of herself if you want to know the truth. So Trump brings up the women uh, that we just talked about. He mentions that they're there in the audience. And then Clinton responded to those accusations by bringing up Michelle Obama. Secretary Clinton, you have two minutes. Well, first, let me start by saying that so much of what he's just said is not right. But he gets to run his campaign 
any way he chooses. He gets to decide what he wants to talk about. Instead of answering people's questions, talking about our agenda, laying out the plans that we have that we think can make uh, a better life and a better country, that's his choice. When I hear something like that, I am reminded of what my friend Michelle Obama advised us all. When they go low, you go high. Right. So, I mean, she, but they go low, we go high. I mean, pretty clearly she is saying, I am claiming the moral high ground here. I want to talk about issues. You run your campaign how you want. She followed that up, by the way, with a list of people that um, she said Trump has offended. For example, the Khan family, uh, Judge Curiel, that sort of thing. And also um, the birther issue. Yeah. So she made sure to remind the audience after all of after the Michelle Obama line that, by the way, here are all of the things that I am hitting Donald Trump with. Yeah. And then the whole thing kind of just went off the rails. Um, Trump brought up the Clinton emails. I think the one that you should really be apologizing for and the thing that you should be apologizing for are the 33,000 emails that you deleted. Said he wanted to appoint a special prosecutor. If I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation, because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. And he said later that if he's president, that she'll be in jail. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. And so this was, and like, this was, I think, there was a moment in that first half hour that I think the discussion reached a low that the country was regretfully expecting. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it just wasn't nice. Yes, the the extraordinarily low expectations were fulfilled within the <laughs> yeah. first minutes of yeah. the debate. Uh, but, but you know, this had to happen in a way because... Had to happen? Well, the moderators are not going to be able to sit there and say, we've got a social media file here with hundreds of questions about this videotape from last Friday night and many others countervailing from the other side mm-hmm. about the Facebook uh, live shot or just all of the things that many of us know about that involve Bill Clinton and therefore Hillary Clinton. And so therefore, they were going to have to go there themselves. And of course, some of the people in the audience also wanted to. So there was really no basis on which to expect that this debate would all be about health care policy. Right. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't walk in and say, all right, trade, go. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. Oh, if we could have. I know, I, right? It just, like, it tariffs. Had to be. It had to be. And maybe, maybe it's a boil that can be lanced, but I don't know that, that we weren't going to. All right, too nasty. <laughs> Can't handle it. I don't know. It seems appropriate to me. I guess, you know, as icky as that first half hour (laughs) of the debate felt, it didn't resolve anything. Nobody won. No. And perhaps that's a good thing for each camp in a way, because both camps would really rather... Get all of these Get it out of here. things mm-hmm. off the table. And I think the country would rather it be and, off the table, Perhaps, too. perhaps. But, of course, there are also elements of both campaigns and certainly elements of the media that are not going to let any of that go. But for the moment, both candidates could be said to have survived a mud fest that could have been even more damaging to either one or both. Mm-hmm. And when you say nobody won, I'd say the moderators won. They did I do mean, very well. Whether that first half or the whole the whole debate, to be honest. But I mean, they, they did a great job, even in that first half hour of mudslinging, yes. of keeping it on point, of getting especially Donald Trump at that one point to answer the questions yeah. and making sure things moved along. Yeah. And 
I think it helped that there were two of them. They could oh, help sure. each other out. And they were willing to cut both of them off, by the way. I saw a count from CNN uh-huh. that showed that uh, Donald Trump, I'm rounding off here, spoke for around 40 minutes and mm-hmm. that Hillary Clinton spoke for around 39 minutes. Like, Pretty close. Very even. That and takes hard work I mean, for those moderators. That's a, mark of, that's a high mark for them. Yeah. Although one candidate did complain more about how the moderators were behaving than the other and at one point said he was fighting a three against one battle. I'd like to know, Anderson, why aren't you bringing up the emails? I'd like to know. Why aren't you we getting brought up to the, the emails. bottom? No, it hasn't. It hasn't. And it hasn't been finished at all. Ken Carpoitz has a question. It's nice to one on three. So uh, Trump complained about the moderators and what they were doing. To that. No, Excuse did me. you? No, answer the question. Why do you, you still believe? You I do. me all the time. Why don't you Would interrupt you her? please Also, Hillary Clinton tried to kind of bait Donald Trump by pointing out how many Republicans are leaving him and not supporting him anymore. Okay, Donald, I know you're into big diversion tonight. Anything to avoid talking about your campaign and the way it's exploding and the way Republicans are leaving you. But let's 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 at least focus on some of the issues. She had good luck in the first debate by getting through to the Twitter Trump and and getting him to channel his Twitter. He got angry stuff. And she was trying that again, I believe, yeah, tonight. Didn't work as well. With the talk about other Republicans, hoping that he would repeat his tweets about so-called leadership or mm-hmm. in yes. quotations leadership, talking about Republican leaders. Actually, the Republican leaders like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and people of they're that nature are, are still supporting his candidacy. But they're still of saying they're going to vote for him. Right. But nonetheless, he really does go off after leadership because that's the establishment. And he's had some success doing that. But he did not take that bait tonight. I wondered if that was maybe the wrong bait to set because does he care yeah. that much? <laughs> I mean, true. was that really going to get under his skin uh, as far as what other Republicans think? Because exactly. he, he has proven that he doesn't necessarily care. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in general, the the ways that she tried to bait him worked less this time. He seemed to be more disciplined, more focused. He lost his cool less than he did this first debate. There were still some things that he did that were uh, people were critical of in the first one, you know, not answering questions as fully as some uh, might have hoped, not being as specific on policy. Mm-hmm. But we can all agree that he did drastically better than he did, did in that first debate. With specific reference to not being baited into meltdown kinds of rants, yes, yes. he just learned that lesson and he controlled himself much better. Now, there are other ways in which you could argue his debate performance was very reminiscent of the first debate, Mm -hmm. and certainly that would be true with respect to some of his representations of reality. But with respect to that one issue that probably hurt him more than any other, which was seeming to go off the rails, uh, which was particularly true of the last 15, 20 minutes of the first debate, he did not do that after the first half hour of this debate. Yeah. All right, let's get Sarah McCammon on the line. She was at the debate at Washington University in St. Louis. Where are you now, Sarah? And hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Good to talk to you guys. Nice um, to hear your yeah, voice. we miss you, Sarah. We, I'm, I miss you guys, too. You haven't been in the office I'm, in, like, weeks. Yeah, you know, just been playing <laughs> or chasing Donald Trump around the country. That, like that, yeah, yeah. So where were you tonight? So I am still at uh, Washington University in St. Louis where the debate was held. But as people who listen to the podcast probably understand, you know, it's not as cool as it sounds to be at the debate for reporter because we are in this big, huge filing center room, which is just a separate room on the same campus um, where we watch it on TV just like everybody else. Huh. So how did it play out in that room for the media that was there? Well, you know, the thing that's different, I guess, than watching it on TV, you know, in your living room is, uh, one, you're stone sober, and two... <laughs> 
<laughs> and two, you know, you're surrounded by reporters who many of them have been covering this for, for months and months and months. And so, you know, everybody is super engaged in watching it. And, uh, I, you know, I have to say uh, the, the moment to me that got the most reaction from the room I was in was, was when uh, Donald Trump said, you know, that's okay. You know, he was going to let Hillary Clinton talk. And he said, I'm a gentleman, Hillary. Go ahead. That, that first one goes to Secretary Thank Clinton you. because you started out the last one to the audience. If he wants to start, he can start. Go ahead, Hillary. No, go ahead, Donald. No, I'm a gentleman, Hillary. Go ahead. Secretary Clinton. And there was just laughter everywhere. You know, I think given the events of the past uh, couple of days, uh, the, the irony of that comment wasn't lost on people. Um, but, of course, you know, he was criticized for interrupting her at the last debate, so maybe he was trying to watch that a little bit. Yeah. You know, so there was a ton of talk going into tonight about the format of this debate. It was a town hall, and the candidates were able to stand up and walk around and talk to audience members who had questions for them. Um, how did they do in this format? So I don't know if you guys have talked about this yet, but, you know, there, were, there was that moment, a couple moments there were, I don't know if it was the camera angle or if maybe Trump was lost. <laughs> but he, he was wandering. He was like, he was, like he was wandering, and he was right behind Hillary Clinton, kind of yeah. hovering over her. And, uh, you know, that definitely exploded on Twitter. And it, you know, it just kind of looked bizarre it on did. screen. I mean, to be fair, I pace a lot, too. It's just a, it's a, it's a nervous tick of some sort sometimes. It, but it could I know be. you do. <laughs> sometimes in socks. <laughs> yes. It could be interpreted by some people, and I believe it has been interpreted by some people, as an intimidating gesture oh. for him to stand behind her, especially if he's as close to her as he appeared. But, but did some she of that know that he was behind her? She might not have. And if she doesn't sense him back there, then it's probably not intimidating at all. But it can give that impression if you're watching on TV because the telescopic effect of the camera makes it look like he's much closer than he is. Right. right. And I mean, and also sort of tacking onto what Ron said, his, his whole persona, his whole thing is not being a politician, which means like, you know, he maybe doesn't have the demeanor of a polished, well-practiced uh, debater at one of these very, very mannered uh, presidential debates where there are very set rules almost of like an etiquette of how you act. So, I mean, the fact that he sort of paced a bit, uh, I imagine, you know, like it sort of befits who Donald Trump is. On the other hand, he was in a great number of debates all through the primaries sure. and stood behind his lectern pretty dutifully throughout all of those. Yeah. But I want to point out on this note um, – Trump's campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway, tweeted right afterward, how you know real Donald Trump won the debate. One, you watched it. And two, Hillary and the media spin will be all about him standing behind her. Hashtag yawn. So <laughs> Kellyanne saw it and she's trying to sort of dismiss it. Uh-huh. So where are you going next, Sarah? I am going where Donald Trump is going, which is on to Pennsylvania. He's got a couple of stops there on Monday. And then uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, he'll be in Florida. Uh, we're still figuring out. You know, stay tuned. Where in the world is Sarah McCammon? Yeah. <laughs> uh, might, might, might go some other places. Might check out in with Mike Pence. I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. But um, both Pence and Trump have a, a pretty busy campaign schedule from what we can see so far this week. So they're getting back out on the trail even after this scandal. Yeah. Well, be safe. In full disclosure, while you've been gone, I've been borrowing your iPhone charger. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> That's where my other charger is. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Take care, Sarah. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, all right. There were other big moments in this debate. There was a question from a Muslim woman. She asked about Islamophobia. There are 3.3 million Muslims in the United States, and I'm one of them. You've mentioned working with Muslim nations, but with Islamophobia on the rise, how will you help people like me deal with the consequences of being labeled as a threat to the country after the election is over? Mr. Trump, you're first. Well, you're right about 
Islamophobia, and that's a shame. But one thing we have to do is we have to make sure that because there is a problem. Donald Trump I mean, responded by like bringing up the shooting in San Bernardino, like saying that Muslims knew what was going on and didn't report it. Sure. Uh, there's no evidence of that. Popular idea, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Many people saw the bombs all over the apartment of the two people that killed 14 and wounded many, many people. Horribly wounded. They'll never be the same. Muslims have to report the problems when they see them. Uh, Hillary Clinton responded by saying that America is not at war with Islam. We need American Muslims to be part of our eyes and ears on our front lines. I've worked with a lot of different Muslim groups around America. I've met with a lot of them, and I've heard how important it is for them to feel that they are wanted and included and part of our country, part of our homeland security, and that's what I want to see. Donald Trump's answer, he started his answer with, Islam, essentially, Islamophobia is a shame, but. And then he went into his um, usual sorts of comments about political correctness and that political correctness is making the country less safe, which may not ease the mind of someone like this questioner, perhaps, who is worried about being you know, considered a threat purely because of her religion, for example. So there was also a weird moment for me. Um, Hillary Clinton was being asked about one of her paid speeches to Wall Street. Uh, Some of the things that she said came out this weekend in a WikiLeaks dump. And there was one portion where she basically said in politics, you have to have a public and private persona. And in her answer to that question, she started talking about Abraham Lincoln. As I recall, that was uh, something I said about Abraham Lincoln... Uh, after having seen the wonderful Steven Spielberg movie called Lincoln. It was a master class watching President Lincoln get the Congress to approve the 13th Amendment. It was principled and it was strategic. And I was making the point that it is hard sometimes to get the Congress to do what you want to do, and you have to keep working at it. And yes, President Lincoln was trying to convince some people. He used some arguments. Convincing other people, he used other arguments. Honest Abe, that, honest Abe uh, never lied. That's the good thing. That's the big difference between Abraham Lincoln and you. That's a big, big difference. We're talking about some difference. My take, leave but, Abraham Lincoln out of this. While we're on the topic of WikiLeaks, one thing that really stuck out to me, say, say what you will about who won and who lost, about anybody's demeanor tonight, but Donald Trump had an opening tonight that he did not take. Yeah. Uh, in those WikiLeaks emails, there was an excerpt of a speech that Hillary Clinton gave to a Brazilian bank where she said, quote, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders. Now, whether you agree That's with that... That's a doozy. Right. And whether you agree with that or not is one thing. But Donald Trump has been saying this whole campaign that Hillary Clinton is for open borders. Now he has a quote. A first saying it. Yes. And he did... That he was didn't an, go there at all. That was a big opening and he did not go for it. And that really surprised me. He's been very busy this weekend. And <laughs> it is possible that he has not spent as much time down in the guts of that WikiLeak dump as others have done. And perhaps... Uh, He was briefed on it, but it wasn't as salient to him as some of the other things that he did go back to again and again and again, which is just the sheer number of emails that she destroyed. Right, as well as the 30 years in public service that you've done. And and really, I mean, his genius is sticking to simple lines. Mm -hmm. 
this and such is a disaster. Obamacare yes. is a disaster. Syria is a disaster. The Iran relationship is a disaster. You More count than a disaster believe, tonight, right? Uh, the last How many time, disasters? The last More than time, a dozen times. The last time I checked the NPR transcript, there were 13 times he used the word disaster. Unlucky 13. In an hour and a half. I mean, that's... That's a lot of times. And for a lot of people, that's effective because they think those things are disasters, too. Mm -hmm. And it is a kind of litany, and litanies are repeated for a reason. They're they're powerful. So we mentioned this 30-year thing, this line of attack that Trump is trying, saying that she was there 30 years, didn't do anything. Clinton responded to that tonight. He has now said repeatedly, 30 years this and 30 years that. So let me talk about my 30 years in public service. I'm very glad to do so. Eight million kids every year have health insurance because when I was first lady, I worked with Democrats and Republicans to create the children's health insurance program. Hundreds of thousands of kids now have a chance to be adopted because I worked to change our adoption and foster care system. After 9-11, I went to work with Republican mayor, governor, and president to rebuild New York and to get health care for our first responders who were suffering because- 400 pieces of legislation have my name on it as a sponsor or co-sponsor when I was a senator for eight years. I worked very hard and was very proud to be re-elected in New York by an even bigger margin than I had been elected the first time. And as president, I will take that work, that bipartisan work, that finding common ground, because you you have to be able to get along with people to get things done in Washington. Thank you, Secretary. And I've proven that I can. And for 30 years, I've produced results. And there were some things that Trump brought up that she actually had no control over. He brought up the Iran deal and kind of blamed her for that. She wasn't Secretary of State when that happened. Also the Syria drawing the red line and so forth. But, you know, it, it, it makes you feel almost silly to say, but wait a minute, she hasn't been in charge of all those things for 30 years, as though no one really thinks she was. But the idea of her having been Washington, not just in Washington, but of emblematic yes. of everything that is Washington and that the country hates about Washington. That Some, resonates. Someone said yeah. the, 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 the bottom line of this election is that the country wants to punch Washington in the face. Yes. And Donald Trump is the fist to accomplish that. Um, taxes came up again and uh, this $916 million loss he used to avoid paying federal income taxes. And tonight he had a different response than what he said before. You have not answered, though, a simple question. Did you use that $916 million loss to avoid paying personal federal income taxes? Of course I do. Of course I do. And so do all of her donors or most of her donors. I know many of her donors. Her donors took massive tax write-offs. So have you A lot of my my write-off was depreciation and other things that Hillary as a senator allowed. And she'll always allow it because the people that give her all this money, they want it. So, I mean, does he have a point there about her donors doing the same thing? I don't know which of her donors he's talking about. I suspect that many of her wealthiest donors probably use just as many uh, elements of the tax code as he has used. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do not know, however, for a fact that that means they have paid no federal income taxes for two decades. And by the way, we don't know it for a fact about Donald Trump either, but he is yet to deny it. But there was that one. He did say that he does pay taxes. He yeah. said that. He said that. He yes. federal taxes. He says he pays, and those are called payroll taxes. Right. And if you have employees, you must pay the f- employer's half of their social security tax. That is a federal payroll tax, and you could call it federal. There are also some excise taxes probably that his businesses pay and so forth and so on. I'm sure some of his businesses pay federal income tax, corporate income tax. I mean, well, he also, uh, you know, mentioned those wealthy donors that um, donated to the Clinton campaign. I mean, listen, if he's talking about how much the highest income Americans are paying in taxes, 
I mean, the fact remains that his tax plan is much nicer to to the uh, richer Americans than Hillary Clinton's. Like his tax plan gives a lot more money back to rich Americans than poor ones, according to an analysis from the Tax Foundation, which is a right-leaning tax think tank. Certainly a business-oriented. Sure. Uh, tax. I mean, he does yeah. lower he does lower the corporate tax rate substantially, and therefore, yes, he can retire some things like carried interest and so forth that that make it look like you're closing loopholes for the wealthy. But if you lower the corporate tax rate, when so many of these people operate as a certain kind of corporation to pay mm-hmm. the corporate uh, tax rate, uh, you are doing an enormous favor to people such as himself. And on top of all that, he eliminates the estate tax, which is only paid by estates of $5 million or $10 million for a couple. Oh, sure. Yeah. Taxes, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't, don't, don't mess with this team. <laughs> so there was another moment where Donald Trump spent a few minutes not really answering a question about Syria. And then Martha Raddatz, the moderator, said this. Mr. Trump, let me repeat the question. If you were president... What would you do about Syria and the humanitarian crisis in Aleppo? And I want to remind you what your running mate said. He said provocations by Russia need to be met with American strength and that if Russia continues to be involved in airstrikes along with the Syrian government forces of Assad, the United States of America should be prepared to use military force to strike the military targets of the Assad regime. Okay. He and I haven't spoken, and I disagree. I disagree. You disagree with your running mate. I think we have to knock out ISIS. He and I haven't spoken. And I disagree. Mm -hmm. He and I haven't spoken. That's your running mate. Well, but, but, you know, in in all fairness, I mean, presidential candidates and their running mates rarely talk, rarely coordinate their positions. It's generally the vice presidential nominee's job to coordinate his policy positions with those of his Let's face it, boss, the guy yeah. who chose him to be the yeah. running mate. Yeah. And if they have a difference, then they change. Tim Kaine had a different position on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. As did Pence, right? As did Pence. Yeah, so they both yeah. were for TPP before they were against it. Precisely. And so was Hillary <laughs> right. Clinton. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, the consistency True. here was Trump, who was against it all along. But let's talk about the instant case. Mike Pence stepped out on a number of occasions in that vice presidential debate to enunciate positions on conservative cause issues, uh, especially having to do with foreign policy. But we could also mix in a number of other things where the candidate for president disagrees with his running mate. And in this instance, Donald Trump just shrugged his shoulders and said, well, you know, we disagree. Mm -hmm. And this comes after a weekend where Mike Pence denounced the comments that we heard in that video. Right. And, uh, and kind of went dark for a while yeah, and wasn't yeah, really yeah. in there pitching for his man. And let's also mention, was suddenly on the lips of many, many people who were trying to find a substitute presidential nominee if they could persuade Donald Trump to drop out. Right. And not only that, but I mean, Pence 2020 is you know already on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are talking about this already. Yeah. Speaking like, of just Twitter. looking ahead yeah. four years. Speaking of Twitter, uh, Pence did tweet out tonight after the debate that he thinks Trump did a good job and mm-hmm. that he's proud to be on that team. You bet. So there was uh, more talk about race as well in this debate. It was a response to an audience question about whether Clinton and Trump can be president of the entire country. Do you believe you can be a devoted president to all the people in the United States. That question begins for Mr. Trump. Absolutely. I mean, uh, she calls our people deplorable, a large group. I would be a president for all of the people. 
African Americans, the inner cities, devastating what's happening to our inner cities. She's been talking about it for years. As usual, she talks about it, nothing happens. She doesn't get it done. Same with the Latino Americans, the Hispanic Americans. So, the same exact thing. two things here with the language about that. Putting a the in front of African Americans and a the in front of Latinos. Right. Some say it's a bit othering. It never hits my ears well. Also, I've noticed this now. A lot of times, as soon as Donald Trump brings up African Americans, he also brings up the inner city. Right. Uh, he always seems, he lots of times seems to tie those two things together. Um, for the record, not every person of color lives in an inner city, and not every inner city is plagued with the disaster he speaks of. Right. Actually, uh, if we're if we're getting technical here, a report I dug up from the Brookings Institution tonight uh, showed that of African-Americans living in metropolitan areas, as of 2010, slightly more than half lived in the suburbs. They did not live yeah. in the, the urban centers yeah. proper. And, and then also, there are also African-Americans who don't live in, excuse right. me. And then, of course, there are those who don't live in metropolitan areas. Absolutely. Yes. And then there are People who live in inner cities that are actually rapidly gentrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't right. know. It's just that the whole rhetoric around it seemed clunky. It's he, very – inner cities is a very dated phrase. Yes. Am I right? Yes. yes. And so in response to Trump's attack on her deplorables comments, Clinton said this. Well, within hours, I, I said that I was sorry about the way I, I um, talked about that because my argument is not with his supporters. It's with him. And with the hateful and divisive campaign that he has run. So there was more than one time tonight where she said she had apologized for things. She talked about apologizing for the deplorables comments. She talked about apologizing for her her handling of the emails. Well, I mean, I wonder if the the implication being that she, you know, she's trying to draw this big contrast between her and Uh, Donald Trump, of course, because she has these things that people are very upset at her about. She She is saying tonight very pointedly, I apologize for them or, you know, the email choice was the wrong choice. And then it's no surprise also or it's no coincidence that she also listed off all of these things that Donald Trump did and did not apologize for tonight. She seems to be really trying to make sure people see those two polar opposites. Yeah. And I believe she's also characterized her vote for the Iraq war as a mistake. Mm -hmm. And she has tried to say that that is something that she regrets. But she was also quite adamant tonight in insisting that Donald Trump has no right to say that he opposed the Iraq war from the beginning. And pointing to all the evidence that's been adduced on that question. Mm-hmm. So we also heard Anderson Cooper bring up uh, Trump's 3 a.m. Twitter attack on former Miss Universe Alicia Machado. In the days after the first debate, you sent out a series of tweets from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m., including one that told people to check out a sex tape. Is that the discipline of good No, leader? it wasn't se- check out a sex tape. It you was just take a look at the person that she built up to be this wonderful uh, Girl Scout who was no Girl Scout. You mentioned by the, the way, just tape. so you understand, when she said 3 o'clock in the morning... Take a look at Benghazi. She said, who's going to answer the call at 3 o'clock in the morning? Guess what? She didn't answer because when Ambassador Stevens... The question is, is that the discipline of a good leader? And so, yeah, Trump never apologizes for the tweet. And then he said something that I actually... I would love to see like on a T-shirt or something. He says, I'm not unproud of it. Between Facebook and Twitter, I have almost 25 million people. It's a very effective way of communication. So you can put it down... But it is a very effective form of communication. I'm not unproud of it, to be honest with you. I asked, I asked NPR's sorry, I Jessica just... Taylor. She said, unproud is actually a word. Yep, we I looked love it that. Up. I just love it. I'm not not That's... proud of it. <laughs> That's like is my that, new mantra like for like, sorry, life. not sorry? Kind of. Yeah. yeah. But like, like, I want to start using that like every day. 
I'm not unproud of it. <laughs> I did that. He could have used this moment to apologize for that. He did not. There was also some talk about this word contrition going into the debate tonight. Mike Pence was calling for a show of contrition. Yep. Mike Pence, as we know, is a uh, person who likes to say he's a Christian first and a conservative second and a Republican third. And contrition is a very big part of Christianity. And this is something that does not necessarily come entirely naturally to Donald Trump. And he has said many times that he doesn't believe in apologizing for things or going back. And his famous mentor used to say the proper response anytime anyone called for an apology was to hit them back 10 times harder. <laughs> All right. So let, we have to mention one of the bright spots, at least for the internet tonight, was Ken Bone, one of the audience members who asked a question, and his wonderfully cheerful red half-zip sweater. The sweater is a thing now, but if Twitter is correct, it is a U.S. Polo Association men's big and tall cable knit sweater with Sherpa collar lining. That answers the most important question of the night. I was, I was getting that from everybody on I'm Twitter. S- I'm so upset that I, I miss. I guess I was too busy focusing on the issues. Oh, whoa. So, oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, don't include oh, that. Shade oh, that out. Oh, that stays. Oh, that's, no. that's days. I will no, fight I, for that. I, I will fight to keep that I in genuinely miss this. I, t- I, didn't, I was staring at Twitter. I missed this. I miss this entirely. Ken Bone. I mean, you, you do you, Ken Bone. Why D Y? <laughs> Is that a you thing? Do yes, why it's do you a I? thing. Even I know that's a thing. God. <laughs> Even is, I know that's a what thing. What is wrong with me? All right, let's talk about the last question of All this right. debate as well. It came from an audience member named Carl Becker. My question to both of you is, regardless of the current rhetoric, would either of you name one positive thing that you respect in one another? So, I mean, this was actually, I, I felt good about this one. They this, were nice to each other. This was an awe yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine after that first half hour when we didn't know what was going to happen, people yes. were going to throw chairs? <laughs> right. But at the end, Mr. Becker gets up and says, come on. But yeah. it wasn't, it, it didn't, given the last 48 hours, it, it, it was an Oh God! What are they going to say? Yeah, like it, it doesn't. It didn't. Yeah, bad. it didn't. I don't think it struck a lot of people as awe when it first came out of his mouth. It yes. struck a lot of people as, how are they going to answer this? Exactly. And they both had very good answers. Yes. I think. Although Clinton was a little, she she hit him even in in her answer. I respect his children. His children are incredibly able and devoted, and I think that says a lot about Donald. I don't agree with nearly anything else he says or does, but I do respect that. And I think that is something uh, that as a mother and a grandmother is very important to me. And then he said he admired that she was a fighter. I will say this about Hillary. She doesn't quit. She doesn't give up. I respect that. I tell it like it is. She's a fighter. I disagree with much of what she's fighting for. I do disagree with her judgment in many cases. But she does fight hard, and she doesn't quit, and she doesn't give up. And I consider that to be a very good trait. That was not unlike another moment in the debate just before the mud started flying in which he had agreed with everything she said about what America might want to hear that night in that debate. I want us to heal our country and bring it together because that's, I think, the best way for us to get the future that our children and our grandchildren deserve. Secretary Clinton, thank you. Mr. Trump, you have two minutes. Well, I actually agree with that. I agree with everything she said. 
But then we sort of got this right at the very beginning and right at the very end, you know, these tones of respect between the two of them bracketing a debate that had, well, pretty much a brackish exchange of everything else but respect. Emotional roller coaster. Except they did shake hands at the end. They did, thankfully, because they did not do it at the front. Right. Our crops are saved. All right, it's time for a quick break. We'll be back to talk about what comes next in this race. Hey, before we get back to our show, I want to let you know about another great show we think you'll like, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's basically the NPR Politics Podcast if we only talked about pop culture. In fact, we modeled our show's format on theirs, which you'll hear if you check out the show. And also our own Sam Sanders was a guest on theirs in a recent episode about documentaries and mockumentaries. Check out Pop Culture Happy Hour at npr.org slash podcasts or on the NPR One app. All right, back to the show. So what's the big takeaway from this debate? I kind of think it ended up being a draw. I mean, not you know, aside from judging performance, I don't think this particularly moves a needle for either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. My question is whether or not we all start talking about the videotape again tomorrow and not the debate. I don't know what it, I don't know what to say. I think I agree with you. It feels like we're still in a holding pattern. I don't know if this debate changed anybody's impression of exactly who Donald Trump is and exactly who Hillary Clinton is. They both were very true to form tonight. There were no surprises that yeah. I can tell. The metaphor we're hearing most in the hour after the debate is stop the bleeding, that there could have been something that happened tonight that accelerated the stampede that we saw for a while over the weekend of a certain kind of Republican, not every kind of Republican, but but women members of the Senate, uh, people from Western states who might not have been all that friendly in the first place, uh, the governor of Utah, for example, uh, several other Mormon members of Congress, a variety of people who were probably on the least excited end of the scale of Trump supporters have bailed out a certain number of people. And of course, you know, former people of importance in the party like Condoleezza Rice. These people matter. And for a while, that was the dominant story of the weekend, really. Even beyond the tape, it was the reaction to the tape from Republicans. And the Democrats kind of stood back like, okay, Mm -hmm. we'll just let that happen. That seems probably to have reached its peak and will probably now stop. If not, that will obviously contribute to the perception that the tape was killer. At this point, though, it was lucky for Donald Trump that he had this debate because he got to change the subject. And in this campaign of many, many turns, it always seems as though as soon as we think we have a direction or we have a clear narrative, something else happens that jerks us around. It's like a hairpin turn. And I suspect that the next thing that's really going to matter is something we can't anticipate, but will happen in the next couple, three days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've got one more debate between now and the election. It's going to be October 19th at the University of Nevada. And of course, we'll have an episode for you guys the morning after that one as well. Um, That's the wrap for tonight. Check out our fact check from tonight's debate at NPR.org. Follow our coverage throughout the week on your local public radio station or on the NPR One app. Also, leave us a review on iTunes if you like the show. And we'll be back with a new episode on or possibly before Thursday because 2016. Because 2016. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben, political reporter. And I'm Ron Elving, male fashion consultant. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Ron, YDY. Hold up. 